Hey folks, this is the uh, monthly market update where we are going to be going through all of the important articles impacting investors these days. Welcome everybody, this is the monthly market update. Here we go. If you haven't yet, check out my book, uh, The Journey to Simple Passive Cash Flow. I think it's like less than 100 pages. It should be a pretty quick read. Go to at simplepassivecashflow.com slash book. We can also check out the audio version where I read it out aloud to you. If not, check it out on Amazon by the Kindle version there too. So all these reports will be put up at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter, which you can also go read all the old ones. Before we get through the monthly reports or different articles, one thing question that's been coming up a lot is cost segregation and all this talk about bonus appreciation going away after this year. It's not going away. So bonus depreciation is just one portion of the depreciation that you get. And that is stepping down next year. So right now it's 100%. Next year will be 80%, then 60, 40. I think by that time, it's like 2026 20, and probably they'll extend it out is my guess. The normal depreciation, you're seeing, isn't a, a good example of regular depreciation before the more, versus the more aggressive depreciation timeline, which is coined the bonus depreciation portion. So you're seeing the difference between the, the depreciation without the cost segregation. Now, the cost segregation is what you need to more aggressively write off the investment. So you, can, you guys can take a screenshot here and take a look at it and compare it. You're seeing how the depreciation without the cost seg, in blue here on the left, is a little bit more boring. And then it gets a lot more um, spicier when you start to break things out and you're able to write it off a lot more quickly. We have got other examples on this one I found recently, but I put it up at simplepassivecashflow.com slash cost seg. So the message here is bonus depreciation is not going away right away. It's phasing out 80% next year, 60%, even 60% is pretty dang good. And remember, that's just not like you get only 60% of the depreciation that you would have gotten. It's just 60% of the bonus portion. The regular depreciation is still big of a sizable portion. But uh, yeah, if you're scarcely minded, just get all the bonus depreciation you want this year and invest a lot. But I, I guess my message is don't freak out because there's still a lot of regular depreciation anyway. And only the bonus part, which is the add-on, is phasing out slowly. But if you guys have any questions, please type it into the comments. I do read them. I'm a real person here. And um, article here is a JP Morgan forms a billion dollar industrial JV fund. I like industrial. Industrial is one of those asset class that isn't as hot as like multifamily. People like multifamily because it's very stable. People always need a place to live. I think the one knock on industrial is making good yields now. If Amazon or one of these big players or some, there's some kind of disruption in the marketplace the need for a warehouse kind of changes. If there's a pandemic, we don't use offices for very often. Or I was just in Seattle this past weekend and I saw the future happening. I saw that one of those Rivian electric trucks driving around. I don't know if they're out. I don't think they're out. But what if they just made those vehicles autonomous? To me, I think you've shortened the supply chain and need a lot less of these industrial complexes. But whereas multifamily is, you're always going to need that type of stuff because people ain't getting any richer and they're going to need class B and C housing. This is already business online. And it's a kind of a good, feel good way of investing because you're 
going in, you're creating a little bit higher standard of living for these kind of lower middle class folks, which is the most of people in America. Now, when most developers come in, they maximize the amount of money, right? There's a lot of pain and effort and money that goes into building. You'd be danged if you're going to build something for class C, B class, because you're just leaving money on the table. You always take it up to pretty much A, A plus class, unless you're some kind of into making all the money and you're born to like for you know, the good of the world. But yeah, you know, most developers will build things for class A luxury. Um, class A market makes only 20% of the total rental market. New construction of affordable market rent units is not financially feasible today, says the article. Also, quoting the article, meaningful work for supply has rarely been added this past decade despite the perceived need for workforce housing. The supply has decreased with older units being demolished to make room for a class A. Some of the investors always think that it's boring walking through some of our projects because we use the same color again and again. That color is gray, G-R-E-Y. Trendy colors and multifamily interior design from MHS, MHN News. Now, this is more of the class A side is what their commentary. And I quote, creating a relaxing atmosphere, fresh living spaces, and a perfect overall harmony. A lot of the natural light and finishes that put pull in the outdoors. So they're looking for more colors that are calming, soothing, and color palettes and softer materials. For example, blues and greens are widely believed to be common and healing, while white stands for purity, completion, and innocence color psychology. I don't know. I was an engineer. I don't care about this art stuff. So we're just going to copy what the other guys do and just keep doing it at the end. The housing news also reports top amenities for single family home renters. Um, so they're looking for walking trails, dog parks, green space. This outdoor recreation was even more important and it was more important prior to the pandemic also, but the pandemic kind of just accelerated because people need to get out of that side of the house if they can't really go out to places. Residents live in a home that offers space, like more bedrooms, the better, higher ceiling, open floor concept plans, also provide more room and live and grow. Additional amenities featured in our homes include a fenced-in yard, attached garage, and in-home storage and laundry. Gone are the days of those houses with kitchen in the weird hallway away from like the living space. Just gives me the shivers there. <laughs> I'm sorry if your kitchen is in a hallway, but it's just functioning obsolete. Nobody really wants that. Unless you have like workers for you cooking your dinner all the time and can bring it over from the back. It's essentially like a back kitchen, but probably don't, can't afford that. Neither can I. So RE Business Online reports Electra America purchases multifamily. It's just an example of where some of this capital is coming from. We talk a lot about Blackstone as a big behemoth, but there are all these types of smaller institutional funds like Electra that jumping into this space and here they're going into a 217 room uh, hotel that is concept as a micro apartment and just as a general trend but because you know, people they don't really they'd rather have newer than bigger these rooms ranging from 350 square feet to 840 square feet emergency rental assistance has helped them stabilize struggling renters so this is coming from the Joint Center Housing Studies from Harvard University. Obviously, we all know the federal interventions have helped to stabilize households whose balance sheets were beaten up, especially on your lower end, your Class B, Class C tenants and below. For you Class A people, a lot of you guys are probably Class A tenants or homeowners. You guys probably bolstered your cash savings because you couldn't just blow it on sporting events and vacation. But for most of the people in America, which is why the need for workforce housing is so much more today, they needed this this government assistance. So 
over one-fifth of lower-income renters applied for rental assistance, including nearly half the honeymoon. So a lot of 2020 and 2021, our property manager would actually sit down with a lot of these tenants and help them fill up the forms so they could get as much government assistance as possible. That assistance ended last year, but now we're seeing a lot of it. As many things do, it takes a while for that slack to work its way through the system. Now we're seeing a lot of the evictions happening, especially the last quarter. Why net lease cap rates continue to compress from commercial property and executive supply chains, late expansion plans, new construction properties with credit tenants experience greater compression. We're talking about the single tenant of net lease, the more industrial and those types of tenants, not single family home residential people. These are more business. Cap rates will face upward pressure as the Federal Reserve has forecast multiple rate hikes in 2022. And it just went up the other day. And you know, I think people have always talked about like triple nets as being really good because you don't have to worry and pay for expensive because that's paid by your tenant. The trouble with that was the yields aren't as great. So it's really not good for people who are trying to grow their net worth. If you're under $5 million, few million dollars net worth. At some point, it does make sense to transition into this little bit lower risk, lower headache, especially type of investment. But with inflation going up, it's been a little bit nuanced that your power as a triple net owner has been going down because you know, your sophisticated tenant will just skip town on you and be able to negotiate, especially when there's other vacancy in the area, which kind of goes in my whole thinking. I said this on the podcast a month ago, a triple net is more of a defensive strategy. But in times like now where inflation is so high, you cannot play like a defensive strategy. You have to just go along with it. So that was just, that's my thinking overall. U.S. renters migrate towards feeder cities and with Dallas suburbs among the biggest renter magnets. So here, if you're watching on the YouTube version, you've got a map here of some of the, the places where people are being drawn to in green. Texas and the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex in particular strongly attract incoming renters, along with a lot of the other Sunbelt states. In 2015, I had 11 turnkey rentals and realized that there's nothing passive about direct ownership in rental properties. This coming from an accredited investor perspective. Our group these days are mostly accredited investors, strictly looking for syndication deals for a purely passive investment strategy. One part of my portfolio is the American Home Owner Preservation, or what folks in the Hui call AHP. George Uberry, once apartment investor and mentor to myself, is now sponsoring podcasts for the fourth year in a row. His private note fund, which by the way also accepts non-accredited investors, cuts out the middlemen, and allows you to invest directly with him to fight the mortgage crisis in America. Feel good knowing that you are helping families stay in their home after buying their underwater note at a huge discount. Join him by purchasing distressed mortgages while cashing your distribution check on a monthly basis. Find something else better out there? Just let me know. Invest as little as $100 by going to ahptitle.com. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, claim it at simplepassivecashflow.com slash ahp. And don't forget to join our private investor club to get more insider access. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. There's some storage cafe among those. Just to list a few, approximately 10.4% of all of those interested in changing their residence for an out-of-state location chose Texas, Florida. And those working on this chart here, top tech, Texas, top 10 cities for net migration. This is Texas. 
I'm just going to read them out in order. Irving, Louisville, Dallas, Austin, Denton, Richardson, Plano, Arlington, Grand Prairie, Houston, Texas. As people work from home with a commute, no longer necessary in most cases, become accustomed to living in quieter areas. So this takes a form in native growth where people migrating within the same area increase local populations from non-native growth areas where they swap one geographic area for another. So that's it's different. It's like the non-native would be people moving from California, going out to Phoenix, for example, whereas the native growth might be in the city, current city, from one submarket to it. Millennials show up as the generation most likely to make such moves, indicating that they, these newly desirable destinations appeal to these young families. I'm going to read some of the top inbound versus outbound markets. Those would be South Dakota, Maine, North Dakota, Illinois, Nevada. And then inbound versus outbound, and this is migration from out of state only, is also on this chart here if you're interested. You know, again, check these videos out. With, we have all the slides and you know, even more commentary on this at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter. Top markets for new multifamily construction permits. And this is always something to be interested in, especially when you're an investor. It's important to take note, where is the new supply coming online? The biggest multifamily permits coming online is in Austin, Texas, Nashville, Raleigh, Denver, Seattle, Salt Lake, Orlando, Jacksonville, Charlotte, Philadelphia is their top 10. And not not to say that Austin's on the top, it also may mean that it's just a lot of people are going there right now. And if you're in, I think one thing that's good is like newer inventory comes online. It helps your lower end because it pushes that price pressure up. I'm looking at a deal right now where there just hasn't been, it's more of a middle of the road type of property and these flashier brands are coming in, these bigger, sexier brands. It's good for those kind of mid-tier because that flashier brand will push the pressure upwards where we said it in our meeting the other day where, you know, right now this particular property doesn't have the confidence to push up because there is nothing getting setting at higher price so that this kind of speed can be translated in many different asset classes obviously but that's the good thing about seeing new inventory coming online the bad thing is what if you build too much of this stuff and you have too much supply on your hands and that's where you have to weigh this with not only supply coming on but absorption too because if your inventory gets absorbed or people move into this new stuff then you're good you don't have oversupply, your your rents won't decrease. So it's, it's just not overall what I'm trying to say here, if you've missed the boat on this one. It's just because they're building new stuff doesn't mean that it's going to drive prices lower because new stuff is coming online. Ben says information is, oh, thank you, Ben. I spent a lot of time on this. There are some holes at the end of this presentation because I just didn't have enough time for my own personal stuff this month because I just got back from a, a deal hunting trip. Because um, yeah, I'm supposed to be looking at deals, not screwing around, posting stupid stuff on social media. I see a lot of people doing these days. I think that's a waste of time. Another thing: our top markets from new multifamily construction permits. Oh, this is just continuing on. This is from Arbor. So this is where a percent for apartment searches coming from other metros. So San Jose, Raleigh, New Orleans, Richmond. Nashville, Louisville, Kentucky, Austin, Texas, Providence, Rhode Island, San Antonio, Texas, San Diego, California. Yardi also notes that Amazon, Microsoft, and Meta have all made either new office demand or leasing commitments in the Seattle area, reinforcing their footprints, which could demand 
rental housing demand. People always ask, well, why don't you guys invest in Seattle? At this time, I like to go into things at cash flow, and those kinds of markets don't really cash flow. I like cash flow because cash flow keeps you in the game just in case there's rough times. But you know, I think Seattle's a great market, just like Austin is. And I think you can also put like Las Vegas is a cool market. I personally like the market. I wouldn't mind going there on business trips. But at this time, it just doesn't cash flow enough to keep our heads a little bit above water in case there's rough times. I don't know, just not as appealing. And I think you could make a lot of money in these kinds of markets, just like Denver and Salt Lake City. But I think that's something I kind of key in on. These are a little bit more in-depth. You guys can watch the video on your guys' own free time. Just more markets and more multifamily type of... We had a question, uh, comment here. Sublane, may the 4th be with you since cap rate is being compressed in industrial. Have you seen the cap rate being compressed in multifamily as well? What are your thoughts on cap rate for the future of multifamily, especially in hot market like Phoenix? I would say like multifamily cap rates are being like lower more than industrials are less thought of asset class. The problem with industrial is like the average person us can't really get into industrial and that's why I want to crack that code person. Just like office space, you need larger amounts of money to get into that business. The multifamily, you don't need that much money and that's what's bad about multifamily. Any like any jabroni can do this type of stuff in my opinion. Which is why you don't see very many operators that haven't been sold out to the stock market or IPO'd or got rid of big institutions stay in multifamily. That's why, like, a question is asked. I asked this, like, maybe five years ago. It's like, where are all the the people doing this stuff who were before, doing it before the recession? Did they all, like, die and, like, the asteroid hit the earth, killed all the dinosaurs? But then I find out, like, a lot of these guys who've been around for quite some time, they either retire and go get a life, which I've talked to some people recently, and I don't plan on doing that right away. I'll probably do this for at least another decade. They get into other asset classes that aren't really touchable by the average bigger pockets world. But yeah, to answer your question, cap rates will continue to go down, in my opinion, unless there's some kind of disruption and slow down the market. But like my crystal ball says that there will be a slowing growth. Let me make myself very clear. Slowing growth does not mean things are going to reverse, right? Rents increases will not continue to happen. It won't go, go up by 5, 10, 15% a year. But because it, even if it grow, goes up 3%, 6%, 6% That is technically slowing growth. So I say that so you don't get all freaked out when Yahoo Finance says slowing growth, this, or decelerating a growth. It's decelerating. That doesn't mean that it's a, a bad thing per se. And I think that's what the, the people always talk about the two and the 10 year. I don't particularly understand that whole thing where they say well, you should look at the two and the three month thing, um, which we'll, I'll write in my, my newsletter, my next email newsletter. You guys got to be part of the email club, the club, the simple slash club to get access to those. It's free. And we wouldn't join. And all you guys get all these emails. You guys aren't in the club because you just put in your first name. And to get all the good stuff, you got to do that two minute online form for me. But I have a little bit of a commentary coming up on that. And uh, let me know. I'm not a good, maybe it's just better to put it into a video. So maybe you guys give me some feedback later on. Shoot the team an email, the cast a vote, let them know if they'd rather hear me talk for five, six minutes on something versus putting it into an email. But yeah, like that's my thought on the economy. Things are 2022 will be slowing growth, 2023 will be more slowing growth. But things are still moving along. That's why we forecast rents to go up 2 to 3% every year just with the pace of inflation. 
by the way, inflation it might be it might be undershoot because inflation's been like eight percent. But as long as long as it continues to keep going up, but like a lot of the the higher level if the institutional data people or analysis people are saying that we're in for the roaring twenties, they could just continue for at least several more years. But the only people saying the opposite to that I see are like those silly YouTubers out there. Never listen to a YouTuber out there like myself. Unless he's reading up. So Yardy Matrix says year over year rent growth begins slowly. Exactly this is exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> Average US rents rose fourteen dollars in March to an all time of sixteen forty two. However, year over year growth dropped by fifty basis points to fourteen point eight percent. Oh no, your growth dropped by fifty folks. It's still going up. An indication that rents are beginning to slow after 2021's record-shattering performance. It reminds me of you know, LeBron James five years ago. People said he's not as good as 2009 LeBron. Yeah, he's getting old. He's in his late early 30s, still still kicking. The article also says rent growth continues to be led by population shifts to the southeast and southwest. Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Las Vegas, Phoenix, all record asking rent increases of 23% or more in March. I was just looking at another stat last night. Phoenix, if you measure it from like the low prior to the pandemic to now, is like 38% increase in rents. So multifamily data suggests that the market remains healthy through signs point to the inevitable deceleration in the markets. Deceleration does not mean going backwards. However, and again, I'm, now I'm quoting. However, economic conditions and global events contain headwinds that justify the expectations of moderation and so if you're underwriting your deals for 6 to 10% growth, it might happen, but I think that is aggressive. Bloomberg reports that Blackstone says alternative assets are headed to your 401k. So Blackstone, the big conglomerate, is trying to make a fund to attract wealthy individuals worldwide that looks to leverage its track record of investing for institutional clients and boost allocations to its funds by private banks, wealth family offices, and wealth managers. Alternative investments like real estate, private debt, and private equity are seen the way to diversify and earn returns uncorrelated with traditional financial markets. These are once sole purview of large institutional investors. That's what kind of sucks, right? Only large institutions can get access to this type of stuff. And now I'm reading again, who don't need assets to be particularly liquid, but the creation of liquidity in search of alternative markets into retail investors has broadened their appeal. So now, just like how the full 401k opened up the average Joe to invest in you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, like now, and how Robin Hood, the average millennial who just likes to play on his phone all day long, can get into stocks. I was just doing nothing the other day. I just heard these like 17 year old kids having the Robin Hood account. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can have a Robin Hood account or whatever, but. I think it's good, but I think also think it's obviously bad. I think it's good because it's it's good that these guys realize that they can put their money and they can money can make money from them. So it's them just blowing it on uh, Honda Civics and Ford Mustangs. But it's bad because they think of it as gambling and they buy low so high mentality and they don't really think of their money working to add value in, in the world. But hey, if uh, not everybody's going to create value in the world, and if they if you aren't. Then that is why Blackstone would like your money. It's investing in alternative assets for the sheeple out there. Multi-housing news also reports Blackstone's $12.8 billion deal to buy American campus communities. So they're creating this real estate and income trust, BRIT and Blackstone property, 
property partners, BPP will pay 65.47 fully per diluted share. Basically, you're getting into student housing, folks. And I'm not a huge fan of student housing. Here, RE Business reports the student housing players big pushed into built-to-rent markets. I think this makes a little bit more sense because the built-to-rent stuff is a little bit more boring. It's really boring. And if you're a homeowner, most people want a home that they love that's unique because there's a special snowflake. But I don't think kids care as much where they're fine with everything kind of being more modular as long as it's new i think is what they care and i think that's why the appeal to the build to rent stuff it's new so they're looking to invest 1.5 billion dollars in subdivision of rental homes in austin denver dallas houston nashville they're saying that if the trend is filled by demographics economics and the pandemic millennials and baby boomers the two largest population cohorts and the target residents but then again, if you're not a millennial or baby boomer, what else are you? You know, there used to be a Gen X thing that I thought I was in. Maybe I'm a little bit too young, but that went away and they just clumped me in millennials. So this is just writers being writers and they just clump people into like huge categories. It's like saying, oh, you're left, you're right. You know, we won't go there. But it's just kind of, I, I, whenever I see people, them categorizing people as a millennial baby boomer, I think it's just like a lazy way of trying to bifurcate the population out there. That's, Student housing developers and, and investors are bullish on the outlook of the emerging sector. Affordability challenges in the U.S. housing market will continue to drive demand for single-family rentals. Higher interest rates could also push potential home buyers into the rental market. We'll see how effective they are at building this stuff because whenever you build something new, you always try to maximize it for more class A, like we said earlier in the webinar. Is it could be too expensive, is my, is my thought, especially with students being a little bit more price conscious. Especially, I think... Most people, when they think of college, they, they spend money on the college first and then the where they're going to stay, where they're going to living in, possibly one of these built-to-rent type of arrangements. It's an afterthought. And they're like, oh, crap, all that that cool built-to-rent stuff that I want to live in is just too expensive for me. That could be a potential problem that I see. But yeah, like me personally, I don't really like this type of investing. I think it's just too many factors. I can't get a good grasp on how lucrative and, and different headwinds and potential pitfalls there could be. That's why I, I, I don't really, not really interested in that space as of yet. Multi-housing news also reports the top 10 frequently traded multifamily assets of the past decade. And I threw this in here because this is what like me and some of my partners discuss a lot of times. It's funny. We, somebody else we knew just bought this asset and didn't that property just get bought and sold like three times the last five years or a few years. Here are some assets. I'm just listing like the Urban 28 in Phoenix got on 88, 18 South Central Avenue. This thing got sold seven times since it was built or since the last 10 years. These are like the properties that like, I was watching a, a YouTube video on like Jose Bautista, the baseball player. The guy like went to f four or five teams before he got good. And at the end of his career, he went to four or five teams. It's kind of like one of those arrangements. But these are the assets that a lot of this is, has to do with somebody buys it and then the price just skyrockets. And that's what we're seeing a lot now. Some things we bought, like one that comes to mind, we bought it for 79 grand per unit. And then now I would say the comps are trading at like 120. So it makes sense to just take the super big gain in this very short period of time, under a year, just move on. And we'll buy maybe two of these that possibly will do the same thing. Not who cares about taxes, right? When you're bidding on the right things. or I mean, that certainly there is buy low, so high. 
barely anything got there. It's just market appreciation, which is different from force appreciation. Market appreciation is dumb luck. Sometimes it's good to be lucky. A real page reports occupancy in three-bedroom units swells during the period. Maybe this has to do with more families are living in apartments these days because they're being pushed out of those smaller single-family homes because of affordability. I don't know. I think more and more people are having less kids. I don't know. Maybe somebody needs a fact check on me, but maybe the need for families or the three bedrooms aren't as big. It depends on every submarket or and which kind of demographic you're going for, but predominantly one or two bedrooms, or especially the one bedrooms are going to be your your majority in the apartment these days. It says efficiency units, we're sure the, the studios, which lost the most occupancy during the pandemic, are up 200 bips in occupancy since February of 2020. Yeah, maybe, maybe the logic there is that people were in the efficiency unit, they were just a single person getting started, and maybe they moved in with mom and dad, and or moved in with somebody else, a roommate, and then it just popping up a little bit here in February, or since February of 2020, maybe that's just a bounce back. New York or San Francisco, they got hit hard with their rents because people didn't want to live in the city. But look, now it's bouncing right back because those are just low cap markets. Low cap is not like immature lane of 2020. It's uh, where I said low cap sucks. It's more more mature lane of 2022 where I say low cap as a sign of respect to those very secure markets. It's a low rated return because it will be, it's just more desirable places to live. If you guys like this and you guys are interested in building a network of your own, check out our family office of Hana Mastermind. You can apply there at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. Most people, they invest and they realize that they need a peer group around them. Triple is just all these local real estate clubs and the free stuff online, the, the, the unsophisticated freebie Facebook groups are just a bunch of newbies and sharks and they don't know what the heck they're talking about. You know, in our family office group we're big on personal relationships within our community. And right now we have a little bit under a hundred people. So we are getting a little bit bigger, we've created a lot of different initiatives throughout the years. So if you guys are interested in, in talking with somebody else in that feel free to shoot an email over to team at simplepassivecashflow.com and um, go ahead and apply at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. But we'll break into what I've been up to this month. And I didn't fill out these slides because I just came back from New York the other day and just didn't have time. You know, some things. Yeah. So sorry, guys. What I do for growth lately, I'm trying to do look at different things. And like I said, you know, I, at one time, you got to be an idiot to invest in California, like New York. But now, like, why are they low cap environments? Or like, uh, Hawaii is another one. Like, why are they low cap? It's, it's lower caps because it is less risk. It's the tertiary markets where you're seeing, you know, you have caps in the six, seven percent range, which is two or three times higher than what you're going to see in the low cap. But the problem there is, well, in a recession, those are the tertiary markets that the location sucks and nobody wants to live there. And it's more riskier, like industrial, right? Industrial has better yields than multifamily. But if that business were to get disrupted somehow, who knows what will happen? Contribution. I, uh, I just like talking with new investors and we, I was just in Seattle last weekend and there's still, there's like three investors that ask me, like, you know, do you have a recommendation for a, a financial planner? And it's, I say, dude, like, what are you doing going on a financial planner for? Seriously, like those guys are just, I don't know, I, they just don't know what they're doing. They're just selling retail product. And that's my big problem with all these Wall Street retail products. It just takes all your money away with all these hidden fees. And it's just, it's nice to get a group together and what's a group think at that point where, yeah, we're going to, learn about this stuff 
tax, legal, and what to invest with and build a little community amongst ourselves and become more of a sophisticated investor than to just give our money blindly to a financial planner that just wants to rock on his nuts and collect asset under management fees. Significant, yeah. I just don't like that status quo stuff of investing for, for the sheeple. Uncertainty, yeah. You know, I think the uncertain things that are happening in this world is like the Ukraine thing, if that continues on, still using, I don't know that for a fact. I just read that. I won't say that. Interest rates keep going up. Inflation is still there. I think at one time people thought that inflation was transitory because that's what the the government, the Fed said, but it kind of looks like it's it's going to be here for a while. So if you have your money just sitting around and losing money, but the interest rates popped up today, they're saying half a point. Whoa, that's a big jump. Normally it's like quarter point, but half a point. But you know what? That like bipolar stock market went up about 900 points in the Dow. And I don't have anything in the stock market. I think it's, I think it's silly. You know, I'll, I'll just say something like, I'm not, not saying it's racist or anything like that, but people in like Asia, they don't believe in the stock market. They want real hard assets like real estate. Most of them, I would say, like they're totally comfortable or they feel uncomfortable if more than half of their assets are non-real estate. To me, I just see it as like a way that in America, at least, the messaging and the marketing has gotten so persuasive that people think that they need to have 80 or 100% of their assets in the stock market. And I think that's why like traveling to different international companies, meeting all these different types of people is so valuable. You can see these different viewpoints and get yourself out of your own paradigm that you've been stuck in. Asian people don't like debt too. That's always a weird thing. So they like hard assets if they don't want to put debt on it. So that's where if I think that's what's wrong. That's again, we're all conditioned to certain types of things. I mean, learn what it does, see what the numbers does, make decisions for yourself is what I say. And when you're able to go to me, the formula is going into things at cash flow just in case there's a recession that you can hold on to the asset. And how do you ensure that? Well, you go into things that have a good debt service coverage ratio. Debt service coverage ratio has nothing to do with how much loan to value LTV you're holding. It kind of is, but really debt service coverage ratio is how banks do it. That's how the sophisticated do it. If you can't pay your debt service, um, to me, it may not be the best thing to put a lot of your money into unless that it's more of an asymmetric risk play. If it's a relatively conservative type of asset, you know, you're looking at a, a debt service coverage ratio 1.25. Where do I get that from? That's what all the banks require. Noah says stock market great for IR, real estate great for cash flow. I will also add in another layer on top of that. I do agree with that. But real estate also allows you to not pay too much taxes with depreciation or depreciation. So that's another thing to think about too. And yeah, it was nice to meet everybody in Seattle the past weekend. We had maybe 25 people. We had we, we bought out a couple of rooms to do a, like a wine tasting. Half of them were like family office members. We had a little meeting. And like, yeah, we're trying to plan that, that retreat in January. Likely we'll do it in Hawaii. I've been doing some RFPs for Las Vegas and maybe Napa instead, but still too early to tell. If you guys are interested in that annual retreat, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club, join there, and you'll be the first to know what, what we're planning for the, the big get-together of the year. But with that, we'll, we'll see you guys next month. 
This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.